I'd like for you to turn to uh, the epistle of 1 John. It's not the gospel of John, but the epistle over near the end of the New Testament, near the book of the Revelation. I'm reading beginning in verse 9 of chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 and following. Now, some people say, you know, I don't know whether I believe in miracles or not. I just don't think I can believe in miracles. I've never seen a miracle. Well, you're wrong on two counts. If you're a believer, a Christian, you are a miracle. The greatest miracle has ever occurred is the miracle of the new birth, the transformation of one's life and character, the miracle of the new birth. So you are a miracle if you're a Christian. You're wrong on the second count because you hold in your hand, if you have a Bible, a miracle book. This is a miracle book. This book is the miracle of inspiration. Now let me give you what a definition for inspiration. You're hearing a lot about inspiration of Scripture. Here it is. Inspiration is the influence of the Holy Spirit upon the mind of those who wrote Scripture that made what they wrote a record of divine revelation. Did you get that? The influence of the Holy Spirit upon the mind of the people who wrote Scripture that made what they wrote a record of divine revelation. This book is the miracle of preservation. Sometimes theologians um, miss this or ignore it. The miracle of preservation is this. It's the influence of the Holy Spirit upon the translators of scriptures and upon the texts themselves which guaranteed the arrival of this book in our current day with its message completely intact, hadn't been changed since the day it was written. The miracle of preservation. And this book is the miracle of illumination. The influence, illumination, is the influence of the Holy Spirit upon the mind and heart of the teachers of Scripture and their pupils, which makes their experience of learning a supernatural experience. What you're going to experience this morning if you learn this word is a supernatural experience so that you come to know things you cannot understand. Aren't you glad? that you can know some things you can't, you can't understand. You say, well, I don't know if I know anything I can't understand. Yeah, you do. If you wait until you understand everything you know, you'll never fall in love. I mean, how do you, how do you understand that? I don't understand how for years I could stand and look at a, through a glass at little old babies in there, you know, your babies, feel nothing. But the first instant I laid eyes on my own, a miracle of love happened in me. I can't explain. And I had this instant bonding, this instant love. It's a miracle. So that the, the Bible is a miracle of uh, this that happens called the miracle of illumination in which you come to know things you cannot understand. Now, if this book, and you already said it, 
is a book of miracles and every word is truth, then this wonderful promise that God makes us about prayer is true. I'm going to read this promise again to you. 1 John chapter 5, begin verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that He has borne witness concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Definite article, the. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Now these two verses are the emphasis, the, the text. Listen to them carefully. And this is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything... According to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. It's the promise of world-changing prayer. Now I have a feeling this morning that some of us have have a big time problem with our prayer life and And we're a little bit concerned about the validity of prayer. Does it make any difference? Does it change anything? Perhaps you've prayed and you didn't get an instant answer and you're about ready to say, well, there's nothing to prayer. We want instant answers. Smirnoff, the uh, Russian comedian, he said when he came to the United States from the Soviet Union, one of the things that impressed him most was to go in a... uh, a grocery store and see all these instant items on the shelf. He said, I, I walked up here and I saw this, this powdered milk and it said, just add water and you got milk. He said, I, I saw this powdered orange juice. Just add water and you get orange juice. He said, I saw this baby powder. <laughs> and he said, I said to myself, what a country. Instant babies. Now, we want want instant things. And and so when we pray, we don't get instant answers. We begin to wonder about the validity of prayer. And it just may be this morning that some of you have wrestled a long time with the fact that you have prayed and prayed and you don't see any results of that prayer. And you're about ready to give up on it. I'm here to tell you that prayer does make a difference. It changes the world. Prayer releases the limitless power of God. And prayer influences three realms. It influences heaven and hell and your life. So that prayer influences what is above the earth and beneath the earth and on the earth. 
And there is nothing that you can imagine that is beyond the reach of prayer. Now the reason I make that statement is because that is the promise of God's Word. You've already said, every word of God is truth. Now I believe that there are four aspects to world-changing prayer, and I want you to get these. Four uh, factors with regard to world-changing prayer. It's kind of like the four legs of a stool, you know. You've, you, you've sat on a four-legged stool, and one leg comes off, the stool falls. So these four legs are of equal importance, and this is how it starts. World-changing prayer has a vital premise, a vital premise. It has a first statement. It has a priority premise, and the priority premise is in verse 14, and this is the confidence we have in Him. So that the vital premise of any prayer is my confidence in God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How much confidence do you have in God? And I think I can answer that question with this. You have as much confidence in God as you are expressing in your recent prayer habits. Peter Lord has all these banners hanging around in his church building. These signs everywhere. He has a banner still there that says, We believe as much of the Bible as we practice, and all the rest is religious talk. What he's saying is this, what that banner is saying is this, that, the what, that what you practice in life that's in the Bible reveals how much of the Bible you believe. I'm convinced that as much confidence you have in God, your confidence in God is revealed by how you pray. Now you'll notice that verse 14 began with the word and. And whenever you see a sentence begin with the word and, you know that what is said in that verse is connected to what is said in the previous verses. They're linked together. That's why I read them. And this is what the apostle is saying. Now watch this. He's saying our confidence in God is based upon our relationship to God. We have confidence in God because of our relationship to Him. Because we're children and He's our Father, that's what gives us confidence. And the more you know about God, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more confidence you're going to have in Him. For the confidence that one has in God is based upon his relationship. Not long ago my phone rang and this young lady said, I, um, I need some money. She said, I've had some unexpected bills come due and um, I, I, don't have, I don't have any money to pay for them. She said, uh, as a matter of fact, she said, I've just written some checks and I need covered. And she said, could you do me a big favor? Could you go down and cover those checks for me? She said, if I gave you my account number, I'm not able to go to the bank. said, if I gave you my account number, would you go down there and deposit some money in my account? And I, I did. I'm a kind of a softy anyway, you know. I, you know, There's something she said that just melted me. In fact, the very first word she said affected what I did. When I answered the phone, I said, hello, and she said, Dad? <laughs> now, now, uh, 
so, so here I went, and, and I went down, and I, I deposited some money in her account because her request was based upon our relationship. Now, how much confidence do I have in God? Just as much as I understand our relationship, son to father. And not only that, but when you understand what's happening in 1 John, you'll know that, that 1 John is, is, is establishing the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's what he's doing all through, the, all through the book. He's establishing that Jesus is God's Son so that our confidence is anchored in what we understand about Jesus. And what he's saying is this, that I have confidence to go before the Father because His own Son indwells me. Now there are two words in the New Testament for ask. There is a word, the word iateo, ask, is a word of, it's asking on a lower level, a lower standing. It's, it's where the person who is doing the asking is on a lower standing than the person to whom he makes the request or from whom he makes the request. Iateo. There's a second word for ask in the scripture. It's the word eroteo. And it's the ask that comes from a person who is on the same level, on the same uh, sta standard, on the same uh, level plane. Now it's interesting that Jesus never uses the first word when he asks the Father. He never uses the word aiteo. He uses every time the word eroteo. It means that when Jesus asks the Father, he's asking someone who is on the same level, he's on the same level with, same standard with. Now watch this carefully. Because I know that Jesus Christ lives in me and I have a relationship that's based upon God through Jesus Christ, I am a joint heir with Jesus and I am privy and, and I have the privilege of asking for the same things He asks for and in the same authority. It starts on that vital premise. To his will. And you say, ah, that's it. There's the catch. In order to ask God and receive from God, I must ask according to his will. The problem is, how do I know that what I'm asking is within the will of God? Well, we've already learned, if we study anything about Henry Blackaby's uh, theology at all, that we know the will of God like this. This is how we know the will of God. God speaks by His Holy Spirit through His Word, through prayer, through the church, through circumstances. There are four ways that a person can know the will of God because He speaks by the Holy Spirit through these means. I just want to talk to you this morning about the fact that He speaks His will to us by the Holy Spirit through this Word through this word. Now there are some things that you and I don't have to question, we don't have to, we don't have to wonder about. Let me say parenthetically that the word makes it clear that if you have sin, uncontested sin in your life, if you give it an uncontested place, the Lord will not hear you. 
And the Bible makes it clear that if you have an unforgiving spirit, you might as well not get into the matter of praying until that's taken care of. The Bible makes it clear that God does not, uh, it's not His will that everybody be healed. That's another, that's another sermon. I'm absolutely certain of that. But there are some things that I know from the will of, about the will of God from His Word that I don't have to wonder about. So I go to the Word of God to know if I'm praying according to His will. Now, if you know anything about musical terms at all, you know that every uh, orchestra leader has a musical score. And the people in the orchestra have this musical score. It's an agreed-upon score that they all go by in order that the instruments might be in harmony and they might be in concert. So that when Mark stands before the choir, and he stood there this morning and he directed that beautiful song, and this choir blended together and there was harmony and there was melody, there was beauty, because they had agreed upon this musical score and from that score they sang. Now, this is the score by which we determine the validity of our prayer. If you have a rebellious teenager, take that rebellious teenager to God. If God has a, laid upon your heart a burden of some lost person, Bring that burden to God. He never wastes a burden. Bring that lost person to Him. If you feel impressed to pray that God will send vitality and life in your church and in this community and turn this nation, bring that burden to God. Because you understand and I understand that it is in the will of God that we pray like that. And once you pray like that, you can start praising God because it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. There is a valid prerequisite. Point number three. Vital premise, valid prerequisite, viable procedure. Now listen to me carefully. I believe that some of us miss prayer on a technicality. You say, wait just a minute. You mean we can miss prayer, miss the blessing of God just because we miss a technicality? Yeah, that's what I said. And you ask, well, you know, how could God cause us to miss a prayer, or miss a blessing, just because we missed a technicality? Well, I don't know. I guess it's none of our business because He didn't tell us. I just know that you and I can miss prayer on a technicality. There is a procedure. Now, this is the procedure. First, you ask. Now, that's profound. I've never had any problem with asking. You ever notice that? We don't have any. My daddy used to say, Gerald, money doesn't grow on trees. You ever heard that before? There's some people here today who have heard that before. Okay. Now, I've never had a problem with asking. If you can do it as much as this, if you can say, pass the biscuits, please, then you can pray because you can ask. The astounding thing when people begin to study the prayer life of Jesus, the astounding thing they found was that 90% of Jesus' prayers were just asking God for something. Isn't that amazing? 90% of what Jesus did in prayer was just ask God for something. I used to think that the guts, as it were, the genius of prayer was 
What happens to you when you pray? Like a kind of a spiritual catharsis, like you do with a psychiatrist, you know, you lie down on the couch and you just tell him all your problems. That when a person prayed, the genius of prayer was that you just told God your problems and you got up and you felt better after it was over. I've come to understand that what prayer is, is this. It's just telling God what you need or want. And you, that's, the, that's the procedure. You ask Him. Now, does the devil ever make you feel like you're imposing on God for asking Him something? Just ask Him. One of the cutest stories, it's not true, but it should be. About this man, this bishop was on his way, sailing on a boat on his way out to this remote place to do some religious work, and he passed by this island, and it was late in the afternoon, so they just stopped at this island to spend the night, and he saw three men fishing. He was interested in their fishing, so he started talking about fishing, and they were interested in his collar, his clerical collar, so they asked him about his collar, and he told them he was a bishop. They said in broken English, we, we Christians? He said, oh, you're Christian? Yeah, we're Christians. He said, well, do you pray? They said, yeah, we pray. They said, well, how, how do you pray? They said, well, we, we say, we three, you three, have mercy on us. He said, oh, man, that's terrible. That's, that's, that's not the way you do it. He said, have you guys ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? They said, no. He said, well, I'm going to teach you how to do it right. He said, I'm going to teach you the Lord's Prayer. So he spent half a night trying to teach them the Lord's Prayer. They just couldn't get it. Finally, just before dawn, they got a grasp of it. They could say it back perfectly. So he got on his boat and took off. He felt like he'd done a great thing. A week later, they came sailing back that island. It was late at night. They saw three torches, three lights coming toward them on the water. As these lights got closer, these guys were walking on water. Had these torches in their hand and to the astounded crew and the astounded bishop, they called out when they got near the boat. They said, Bishop, what, how did you, how did that prayer go you, you were telling us? We, we got hallow, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We can't remember the rest of it. He said, oh, forget it. Go on back and say, we three, you three have mercy on us. Now we make this too hard. We make prayer too hard. And we learn these cliches and these words that we put out there. Let me tell you something. Prayer is just asking God for what we want or what we need. Second step in the procedure. He hears. We ask, He hears. Now the third step in the procedure is what I have missed for years. What I missed for years. Now watch this carefully. If is a big word my mother used to say. If we know He hears. Now it's not if we know we are prayed in the will of God or if we know He's capable of answering prayer. It's if we know He hears. I don't know how long I've missed that. Now there are some things, you know, we say, occasionally people say, well I just know, don't know if he heard me or not. Some, I've heard this so many times, my prayers I'm afraid didn't get above the ceiling. I just don't know whether God heard me my prayer or not. Let me tell you something, if we don't know he hears, he doesn't. 
Put a big if there in front of that. And notice this, that if we know that's the step in the procedure, we miss. Now there's some things we can know, some certainties. In 1789, Benjamin Franklin made a statement that we still quote, there's nothing certain but death and taxes. But Benjamin Franklin had to know there was more than that for certain. There are certainties in life. In fact, the word no appears 39 times in this little epistle alone. But man has a great longing to know things for certain. He'll even dabble in the occult so he can know things for sure. A pastor sat down with one of his members in a large shopping area and he said, across the street there are these financial institutions, these men who handle millions of dollars, and they come over here every day to talk to this palm reader. He said, I've seen them set out in the, in, their, in the office of this lady that represent millions of dollars that handle our finances. And they come and ask this lady who reads palms because they want to find, they want to try to get in touch with some things for certain. Now John says, now watch this. John says we know that Jesus is the Son of God. And we know that if we are believers, we have eternal life. And we know He hears us when we pray. And when we come, when that grips us, or we, or we grip it, and we understand that He hears us, the procedure is completed. Now how do I know He hears me? I take my stand on the Word. He says He does. I'm not going to base it on feeling. I'm not going to wait till I get certainties or visibilities lined up. I'm not going to wait till I can see the evidence. I'm going to pray in the will of God and I'm going to believe with my heart, know that He hears me. Now, if there is that procedure built upon that prerequisite, based upon that premise, there's one last thing, then we're out of here. There's a victorious promise. We have, we have whatever we've asked. Now it's not we will have, it's we have. Now there are three kinds of faith. You can believe God can, that's not biblical. A person can sit on the back row of this church this morning and believe God can save him and go out of your lost man. You can believe God will, and that's a little better, but you can sit around waiting when He will. Or you can believe God has already, and that's it. And it means that when you pray on the, with confidence in God, based upon His will, in the procedure of asking, just asking, then you have it now. The Apostle John must have been standing around when Jesus said that, made that statement. He said, whatever you pray and ask, believe you have received these and they, and you sh and they shall be granted to you. Believe you have them and you believe you'll get them. Believe you have them, you'll get them. Now I messed that up good. Well, I'm going to try it again. Believe you have it and you'll have it. And when you have it, you don't have to ask for it again. You just have to thank God for it. A man was in a phone booth one night late. He had the door open. It was dark. And he's trying to get his phone number and he couldn't see it. He's trying to get how to see how to dial and he couldn't see how to dial. 
trying to get his money in there. He couldn't see where to put his money. He's standing there fumbling and fiddling around. And a guy walked up behind him, behind the telephone booth, and said, Shut the door and the light will come on. What John said is this. You get with God and shut the door. And you have confidence in God. And you pray in the will of God. And you ask. You can walk out of that phone book with the answer in your hand. Let's pray together. Our Father, we believe the Word of God is truth, every word of it. And where what we find in the Word of God or where we find our life inconsistent, we'll change today. Grant us the faith and the courage to begin at the point of prayer. For I pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Now there's someone here this morning who has never, has never accepted Christ as His personal Savior. Do you, do you hear what He says here? He said, if you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have the life. The Son of God wants to come into your heart this morning. will come by invitation into your life. And you have the life. A simple act of faith to ask Jesus to be your Savior. To be in control of your life. To be your Lord and Master. Perhaps you need to come this morning in obedience to God's will for you in this church. To join our church. Recommit your life to Christ. As much of confidence as you have in God is how you pray. Perhaps at the air in the area of your own prayer life. Whatever God leads you to do, we invite you to come. First word as we stand to sing.